Hi there. I'm the baseball lifer. Good to have you with me. And you know, we've got a guest today. This is a fellow that I've followed on Facebook for quite a while. And I knew him back when I was in the game, when I was a broadcaster for the New Britain Red Sox. So Andy Linker is our guest. And Andy, how you doing? I'm doing great, Don. How about yourself today? I'm doing good. Now, this is an interesting thing. What I thought was going to happen, I didn't think the Phillies would put up the fight that they have. So I thought today we were going to talk about Andy's career in minor league baseball in Harrisburg. But that's going to have to happen in another show because, Andy, you had an opportunity that a lot of baseball people don't have, even baseball lifers like me. You got to last night's World Series game. And think about this. You know, I've been a Yankee fan going back to the mid-70s. And they were in in 76, 7, and 8, and 80 and 81. And all those Yankee wins in through the late 90s into 2000, 2001. And the Mets were involved. And the Phillies have been in a few World Series. But I have never not even come close to going to a World Series game. Now, the first question is the obvious one. With prices of around $3,000 a ticket, how did you pull it off, Andy? Well, I was very fortunate. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I went with Terry Byram to the game. Terry is the uh, longtime radio play-by-play voice with the Harrisburg Senators. And he is longtime friends with Robert Ford, who is the Houston Astros uh, radio play-by-play man. So Yes, I'm familiar with him. Yes. Okay, so we were able to, uh, uh, you know, the Astros are, are allotted so many tickets at, you know, frankly, a, a reduced price because I couldn't afford the uh, mortgage end to go <laughs> yeah. to the game otherwise. <laughs> Don't you Terry know. And I were able to go to the game at uh, a little bit more affordable price. Uh, Thanks to Robert Ford. I have to tell you, Don, of, of um, <laughs> I was thinking, uh, I was looking at some of the scalpers' prices the other day, and a couple sections were uh, $4,300 a seat for last night's game. Yeah. And the section That's... we were in, I was actually in the Astros family section, so huh. there were no tickets to be uh, scalped or, or, or resold, and that's just fine, because I I said to my wife the other night, I said, boy, I don't know, some of these tickets are going for a few thousand dollars. And she said, what would you do with a few thousand dollars? Yeah. <laughs> and I started rattling off a list of projects around the house. And she said, yeah, but this is the World Series. <laughs> How many games have you been to in the stands of the World Series? And I said there, I said, none. You know what, Don? I've covered the World Series as a writer. I've covered NFL playoff games, Stanley Cup playoff games. I, but I have, I've covered hundreds, if not probably a, a few thousand games in my career, but I've never sat in the stands. Yeah. So I thought, well, this is going to be different. And it's going to be different because I'm from Philadelphia, so I'm, uh, I'm pretty familiar with the fan base there. And uh, they're somewhat passionate, uh, <laughs> That's maybe pretty, borderline pretty. Uh, zealots. Uh, and that's okay. Um, so I thought, well, this is going to be kind of interesting sitting among the, uh, 
my uh, my hometown uh, brethren here to see how they would react, and uh, they didn't disappoint me. You know, I've not been to the park. I used to go to a veteran stadium when I lived in Jersey before I became a professional and veteran stadium needed to go. And it went after the 2003 <laughs> season, but I've never been to the park where they play now. Now I'm of course, very familiar with the monstrous traffic jams leading into Yankee stadium, even for a normal game. What was the traffic pattern like getting in before your game started last night? Well, the traffic pattern getting into the game was very good because the parking was uh, twenty-five dollars, twenty-five or thirty-five. Terry picked up the cost. I think it was twenty-five dollars. I'll tell you what, Don. When they're charging the twenty-five dollars to get in, it's very streamlined, very organized. You get in nice and quick. At the end of the game, once they have your money, they're they're long gone. You're on your own to get out. Of <laughs> wow. So it was probably. 45 minutes till we got out of the lot. And again, that's something else that, that I never really experienced as a writer. I would be in the, in the game and the first in the clubhouse or the locker room, depending on the sport, mm -hmm. and then back up in the press box to write a story. So I wouldn't, you know, get back to my car sometimes for an hour or an hour and a half after the game. Yeah. And the traffic's already thinned. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, wow, this is easy to get in because I'm there four hours before the game. And there's no traffic on the way out, so I don't know what people complain about. Well, last <laughs> night I found out what they complain about. I guess you did. Now, of course, um, in your minor league days, you'd not only cover the game, you'd get the spread. Although if you were in New Britain, you'd be wise to avoid the spread. <laughs> but what kind of prices were they charging for hot dogs and beers for the World Series? Well, I um, a lot. <laughs> I. <laughs> I had a uh, chicken chicken sandwich, which I would consider on the small side, and mm -hmm. uh, a small cup of uh, fries with some kind of uh, uh, seasoning on it, mm -hmm. and a, a bottled water. And the lady said, do you want the small bottle or the large bottle? And I thought, well, I have but one bladder to give, so I took the small <laughs> bottle. And all of a sudden, she said, $24.80. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Ouch. <laughs> you know? So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to stretch this out before tonight because I'm a retired sports writer and it, sports writers never make much when you're active and when you're retired, you make less. Mm -hmm. I, I'd say they were, I'd say the prices were pretty, uh, uh, pretty, uh, pretty high. But then again, you know, the, they have a captive audience, whether it's the Phillies charging for merchandise or, Major League Baseball with uh, uh, some of its merchandise there. They, they know they have you. So it was capitalism at its finest. And, and I was a willing participant. Once the game got going, both sides scored in the first inning. The yes. Astros, Altuve doubled. And then somehow Marsh made an error allowing Altuve to get to third. And... Well, well, Marsh came in. It was a soft line drive to center, and uh, Marsh came in to try to uh, to make a, a diving catch, and he didn't. And the ball kicked up off of him and went in front of him by about fifteen feet or so. And and uh, Tuve's got some speed, so it was no problem for him to get the third. And Jeremy Pena, who's been raking during this 
postseason. You know, he singled home Altuve, but then bottom half of the first, Kyle Schwarber nodded the ball game up. Yeah, he did, and that certainly uh, really quickly eliminated the possibility of the Phillies being no hit for two games in a row. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a funny thing with Schwarber. I mean, he, he is an all-or-nothing hitter, and, I mean, the, the nothing is 200 strikeouts this season, but the all is leaving, leaving the ballpark at about 110 miles an hour and going about 450 feet. And, you know, going going back to when the Mets were in the World Series in 2015, my brother-in-law and one of his sons, at least, are big Mets fans. And we just thought Noah Syndergaard was just about it. And I was really disappointed by them having to take Noah out in the fourth inning. He did give up the run that made it two to one in favor of Houston. That was too bad. Well, Syndergaard is a totally different pitcher, Don, and he was, you know, five, six, seven years ago after the the shoulder uh, injuries. Uh, you know, back when he was with the Mets and they're going to the World Series, he's 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 clocked in the high nineties, ninety eight, ninety nine in velocity. Last night, I think he topped out at ninety three or ninety four, and it was only on uh, with an occasional fastball. Uh, he's not the same pitcher he was. I think they got as much as they could out of him. Had he pitched uh, Monday night, uh, had the game not been rained out, he was a scheduled starter. I think he was only going to go about three or four inches, which is what he did last night. They weren't expecting a, a, a long start from him just because that's not where he is at this point in his career with his type of uh, quote-unquote stuff against a, a very – exceptional team like the Astros, you know, against the bottom half team, you could probably Syndergaard could, could sneak his way through five or six innings. But last night you get him through the lineup, you know, once, maybe twice. And, and that was going to be about it for him anyway. So, you know, he, he comes out after Pena hits the home run. Uh, I thought Syndergaard, you know, pitched pretty well, you know, for what they were expecting out of him. Um, and there were there were a couple of situations where I thought Verlander was back on his heels, but somehow he he got it back together and he seemed to get stronger until they took him out at the end of five innings. He did. He struggled really for the first three innings with uh, command, uh, with where he wanted to throw the ball. Uh, I thought with velocity, it, it wasn't anything special and I was really looking into uh occupational hazard I suppose after all these years situations come up and I'm thinking okay it's time for me to go look in the bullpen and they were starting to kind of scurry around a little bit in the third inning and I think he was going to have a pretty short hook from Dusty Baker last night but Verlander went out there he was over 50 pitches in the first three innings which is a pretty healthy number and he had a pretty quick fourth inning, and he kind of gutted it out in the fifth. And I think they, they felt like, well, you're up at 94 pitches. And you're right, he got stronger in, 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 the, in the fourth and fifth. And I thought, I'm sure they were thinking, look, they got a killer bullpen out of Houston. They got five innings out of Verlander with just one run allowed. Turn it over to those guys that, that, that all throw upper 90s and, 
and make the Phillies beat you that way. So I thought Verlander, he finally got his World Series victory. And it was it was a dogfight, you know, the rest of the way. It was stayed two to one into the eighth inning. It was a battle of the bullpens. And in the eighth against Dominguez, um, he walked Altuve leading off and those leadoff walks, they'll kill you. And that was the score 30 years ago. And that's the score now. And after he walked Altuve, then it was that man again, Pena singled. And that was the end of Dominguez. And they brought in Robertson. And really that was a grounder to first that Reese Hopkins should have, should have, you know, corralled. Yeah, he should have. And that was actually one of the big questions going into the postseason overall, because the Phillies really have two corner infielders and two corner outfielders that are better suited for for uh, for being DHs based on their their defensive abilities and the defensive metrics. In the Phillies situation, because of Bryce Harper's injury, they had no choice but to use him as DH throughout the year. So in a lot of ways, the Phillies were starting five designated hitters. And the question going to the playoffs is, okay, when is that defense or lack thereof going to come up and kind of bite the Phillies? And they had been really fortunate. Uh, one, uh, Schwarber's had a pretty uneventful time in left field. Alex Baum has played very well at third base in the postseason defensively. And Castellanos has been terrific in right field. And those have been two big surprises. But then we come back to Reese Hoskins, who continues to struggle defensively. And the ball hit to him last night in the eighth inning by Jordan Alvarez. If Hoskins steals it cleanly, he's got a chance to get out to the plate. But Hoskins, as a defensive first baseman, he's a heck of a hitter. Um, but he bobbled the ball and kind of smothered the ball and finally had to step on the ball to keep it from going anywhere and picked it up and, and made the, uh, the out on uh, Alvarez. But that uh, very large run, as it turns out, had already scored. In meantime, all these innings, you, our guest, Andrew Linker, had been sitting in the stands in the Astros family section yeah. and trying to give me an idea of what it, what it, what it feels like being out there inning after inning watching the World Series from the, the the fans' point of view. Well, you know, watching my hometown fans, these people are insane in, in a great way. Uh, throughout these playoffs, they're much like a, a college basketball crowd, whether, you know, like the Cameron Crazies at Duke or, you know, uh, just a really energized college football crowd. They stand the whole game for 45,693 people. It sounds like 90,000 people at Penn state, you know, on a, on a football Saturday, they made a lot of noise. They, 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 they're very intelligent sports fans in Philadelphia as they are in New York and Boston and, and kind of the hub cities like that. They were really into it the entire time. And I, I was saying to, to Terry Byron before the game, um, I said, you know, in three or four hours, uh, this place is either going to be a madhouse or it's going to be a morgue. There's no in between. And it, it was a madhouse 
for well, the game went the game ended just after midnight. Uh, you know, right until the stroke of midnight, it was a madhouse. And then when that final out was recorded, you know, it, 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 you could hear mice scurrying around the place if you if you were listening for them. It was very, very morgue like quiet. And really, the difference I got to say it: the score is three to two. Bottom of the ninth, and Chaz McCormick, local boy from Westchester, makes yes. the catch of his life. <laughs> that was that was something else. That, the ball is, you know, Ria Muto put a great swing on the ball, and it's just carrying the deep right center. And the way he is, the way McCormick's pursuing the ball, and the way Tucker's pursuing the ball, you know, from watching, I had a great angle on. It. I thought the ball's not going to clear the fence. But I think this ball is going to fall in there for a, for a double, and then McCormick goes up and just as you say makes the catch of his life, and and comes down with this thing, and it's just one of those things, Don. Whether it's 24 hours from now or 48 hours from now, however this, if the Astros win the series, uh, that it's one of those defining moments. That wow, you know what does this catch? do in the big scheme of things and it it kind of reminded me a lot of Tommy H in game uh game three of the 69 World Series making two uh two ridiculous catches that he had no business making and he saved five runs the Orioles from scoring five runs and single-handedly won the game and that's what Chaz McCormick did last night and uh, I don't know uh if they were showing him on you know because I didn't, I didn't watch the replay yet um uh, but I was watching McCormick after the catch and he was hurting out there. He had, he was doubled over for a little bit. He was uh, walking rather gingerly in center field. Uh, not that he would ever admit to that or admit to wanting to come out of the game, but what a terrific catch it was. Well, there's reason enough. There's no padding on that wall. You got concrete and you got chain link behind that. Sure. The guy was hurting, but my goodness, what an, what an insane catch. And that was enough right there. Even though Bryce Harper got hit by a pitch and Castellanos came up, you know, still that it seemed like the game was over once, once uh, McCormick made that catch it really did. Well, I, I, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I'm watching this game. and look, again, It's a different vibe when you're in the stands. I mean, when I'm covering, when I was covering games, there's always something to do uh, between pitches. Uh, you know, you're, you're taking notes. There's always something going on. But in this situation, you're just kind of, you know, I just let myself get soaked up in the atmosphere. And really, for most of the game, Don, it felt like the Phillies were winning four to one. Because Verlander was just, Verlander was like an aging boxer, just trying to hang on and get out, you know, get through rounds by by getting points and not the knockout. He was just going from round to round. And the Astros had so many opportunities that they failed to capitalize on. The Phillies wiggled out. I mean, the, the Astros in the first inning have runners on first and third with, with nobody out, and they get one run out of the deal. Excuse me. They had scored there, but they, then they get nothing else out of that deal. There were a couple of opportunities later on where the Astros had first and third, nobody out. They got nothing. So I, I thought the Phillies were uh, living that charm life, and it always felt like they were winning, like I say, like four to one. And Castellanos is very dangerous. Uh, 
and he hits a hard ground ball at the end of the game to Pena, who's playing deep uh, at short, and Pena makes the play cleanly and 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 makes a very strong throw to first and, and just barely gets Castellanos. But all in all, it was a terrific game, but I don't think anybody was was exhaling on either side until after that, until after that ground out. And some people exhaled uh, uh, with a little bit more ease than others. And you know, it. I know these are 45,000 people. Now, a couple of decades ago, the Phillies were involved in the 1993 World Series against the Toronto Blue Jays. And Vet Stadium could hold upwards of 60,000. They had 63,000 the night that Mike Schmidt's number was retired. That's the biggest crowd I've been in in my life. But I was there. I covered that game. Wasn't that a great game? Yes, yes. But I'll tell I, you, I, if, I, if it's possible, those 45,000, especially for game three when the Phillies were hitting all those bombs, they were louder than the 65,000 you know, on Mike Schmidt night or during the 93 World Series when the Phillies played the Blue Jays. This smaller crowd was louder and wilder and more crazy. It's a smaller crowd, but the crowd is much more on top of the field uh, in the new ballpark than it was at, at Veterans Stadium. But I, I covered the uh, the fifth game of the 93 World Series, the uh, Kurt shutout. Schilling shutout, yeah. And what a performance that was, that was. It was, and uh, that that was that was incredibly loud. Uh, but last night's uh, game for an outdoor stadium, Don, was was as loud as as I've ever been in for an outdoor stadium. Uh, indoors is totally different. Places like the the Superdome in New Orleans or the uh, uh, Carrier Dome in, in Seattle are are just insane with noise. Um, can I call it the Superdome anymore in New Orleans? Am I allowed to do that? As far as I know. Okay. Somebody, somebody bought it on a corporate sponsorship, but I, I don't know who it was. And, and since frankly, they don't pay me an advertising fee. I don't feel any obligation when I got to know their name. There I'm you sorry. go. There you go. <laughs> so uh, we're yes. talking to Andrew Linker, who was at game five of last night in, in, in the world series, Philadelphia now. Behind three games to two, it looked so promising after game three. And game four, really, I would have left Christian Javier out there because he's not coming out of the bullpen in game seven. If there is a game seven, he's just not. Their bullpen is too deep for that. You know, what are we saving him for? So he can do a little more fishing when he gets back home? And well, he's got to be able to cast. You know, if he's a fly fisherman, he's got to be able to use that arm. <laughs> he needed his chance at, at immortality, and he didn't get it. And I he, just, I don't believe in the the combined no hitter. I just don't. He was never going. To, this wasn't the eighth inning that he came out in. He had ninety seven pitches through six innings. There was there was no way averaging. Uh, doing the math here real quick, 16 pitches an inning, there's no way they would let him go close to 150 pitches. Uh, in, in a, again, in a World Series game against an offense, as in Philadelphia, you saw what they did the night before and how quickly they could score. I, I think it was absolutely the right move to make. 
you know, you have a, a, a young guy out there. He's going to be part of your rotation for, uh, they hope, a long time to come, uh, especially if they lose uh, Verlander and free agency. Uh, you know, whether the criticism was, is, was right or not about Dusty Baker when he's in Chicago and people claimed, well, he burned out Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor because he left them in there too long. And now some people are criticizing him because he took out Jav or Christian Javier at frankly the right time at 97 pitches. And, and I, I thought it was a good time to take him out, especially you got guys in the bullpen like Abreu and Montero finished up with Presley. Why take a chance on the kid's career when you have all these, all these arms ready to go? Um, you know, he did the same thing earlier in the playoffs when Valdez um, did not allow a hit through five innings, but his pitch count was fairly high and they took him out. Uh, that's the way the game is played now. But I think even, I, I don't know, do you let the guy go 150 pitches? I, I don't think so. Um, You've got to figure they would have gotten a hit off of him eventually. Then you take him out. Well, absolutely. And trust me, I, these managers and pitching coaches, they get that far. They're into the fifth or sixth inning. And this guy, or even the seventh inning, Don, and their pitchers up there around 100 pitches, their own managers and pitching coaches are hoping they give up a single. You know, make the decision easy. Okay, now you have a one hitter. I'm taking you out. But in the World Series against a very explosive offensive Philly, uh, the offense that the Phillies have, I think it was the absolute right move at the right time. I think it's going to be really tough for the Phillies because uh, uh, Framber Valdez is pitching. He's pitched very well. He probably has, he may have the best stuff on the Astros staff. Uh, he pitched in game two. He's pitching game six against Zach Wheeler. Wheeler has looked tired since he came back off the DL. His velocity has been down a little bit. The Phillies kind of you know, had their way a little bit with them in game two. I think it's going to be tough. Having said that, you know, the Phillies jump out to a lead, they hold it, then you got a free-for-all in game seven. So you you never say never. I mean, we, we come from an era where the Baltimore Orioles would go to the World Series, whether it was against the Pirates in 71 or the Pirates in 79, and they have a commanding lead, whether it's three games to one or three games to two. And, and the other team comes back. Uh, you know, the Phillies are a very good team. Are, are they the second best team in, in Major League Baseball this year? No. Did they get hot at the right time? Yes. Are they very dangerous? Definitely. So if you're dangerous, you got a bat in your hands, you have a chance until, until the other team gets 27 outs and they have the lead. So I don't think it's over. I went bet on the Phillies right now. But I, I can just never – they shouldn't have gotten this far down on paper, and, and look what they've done. They've beaten St. Louis. They've beaten Atlanta. They beat a very good San Diego team to get this far. So would you count them out? Not quite, especially if they somehow win tomorrow behind Wheeler. Game right. seven, you've got Aaron Nola, and he is awfully good. Why well, don't you know, Nola pitched um, – he would be coming back, though. Uh, 
you know, after pitching uh, game three. Now, the big question is, if you're the Astros, are you going back to Lance McCullers? Good question. And, of course, that's all after tomorrow, because it's probably all hands on deck in Houston tomorrow, if if anything happens with Valdez. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's, it's, it's all hands on deck for everybody, both both games. Uh, I, I think Valdez will, will, you know, barring an injury and barring uh, not pitching well, but that hasn't happened yet. He seems to have a really good head on his shoulders. Um, but if he can get them into the sixth or seventh inning, uh, if you're the Ashers and you're feeling pretty good, because even if something does go wrong and you lose that game, then you really truly have all hands on deck for game seven if, because McCullers will be on a short leash if indeed he gets to start. They won't allow a repeat of what happened in game three. We've been talking to Andy Linker, who was at last night's game five of the World Series as Philly lost to Houston, and they're now facing elimination tomorrow night. Three games to two. Houston has the lead as they take it to Minute Maid Park. And I, I had never had a chance to debrief a man who had been at a World Series game just the night before. And this has been great fun. I, I look forward to a future day when we can talk about Harrisburg, that great minor league city where you've done most of your work. Yeah. Well, thank you, Don. I appreciate that. And I look forward to that time down the road.